0: Because it was a different situation, what's happening here. So, but I'll just share it with you anyway, because there is something to think about with it. When I went to my teacher, second teacher, that gentleman that, uh, who told me that the wise man doesn't feel the cut, that Swami Atmanadendra. So, I studied with him, I was studying with him for about six years, what I mean by that is every year I would go and spend about six weeks, and we would he would give me about three hours a day of his time. I already told most of you his schedule, so he had to fit me in in that tight opening when his free time was. And. Um, In those six or seven years, we took four years to do the Mandukya Upanishad. We took another four years to do the Gaudapada Karikas and Naishkarma Siddhi. And then we did about three years of the Bhagavad Gita with Shankara's commentary. So, it was maybe seven or eight or ten years that I had been going and I never gave him one penny. And he never asked for one penny.
1: And his cloth? And his threadbare cloth?
0: And his threadbare cloth? He only had
1: two cloths. He's show how poor he is.
0: He had nothing. <laughs> he was very... He was a sannyasi. So, one time, after all of these years, I decided, this is not right. You know there's a thing called Guru Dakshina? Mm-hmm. It, Guru's teaching you, and uh, you should give something. But I knew, he had told me many times, "This, there's no fee for this, there's no nothing for this. And uh, But I thought, it's not possible. He's done so much, and I was so grateful for him. And I wanted to do something. So I put a fair amount of money, a good chunk of money, in an envelope, and I closed the envelope, and I just put his name on the outside of the envelope. And at the last day when I was getting ready to leave, the way it was, I would go to his room, he would be there, he would sit on a chair, I would sit on the floor, and I put this envelope in front of his feet. And I said, Swamiji, this is not for you. It's not for you. There must be some expenses here. You'll have to fix the roof. Maybe you'll need some new... Something. Please let me give something. I come here, I feel like a thief. You're giving me so much and I never leave anything. I walk out of here. So, please, for me. And this is not for you. It's for the ashram. You can... So... He looked at the envelope, and then he looked at me, and he said, Atma Chaitanya, if I take that envelope, not only will I go to hell, but you'll go to hell. If you ever do that again, you never come back here. There's no money in Vedanta. You can't pay for this, you don't have enough money to pay for this, Uh and I can't charge you enough. Don't ever do that again. Again. There'll be Once you get money into Vedanta, the whole thing is corrupt. You can never pay for this knowledge. You don't have enough money. That was the last time I ever offered, tried to offer him anything. He wouldn't take it. It's not about that. You can't charge for this. Vedanta is not a business. You can't make your living off of it. It shouldn't be like that. It has to... Not from a guru, from a teacher. He wants nothing from you. He needs nothing from you. He's full and complete in himself. He only wants to give you something because he sees you as himself. If he was making it a business deal, then the whole thing gets sullied. It becomes something different. There should be no money in Vedanta. They ask you for money, run. They're in the Vedanta business, run. Now having said that, that doesn't mean that a place like this doesn't have to raise lots of money to keep it going and that's a whole other story. But I'm just saying that this teaching of Vedanta, there's no price for it. You can't pay for it. And the teacher shouldn't charge for it. And the student shouldn't have to... The requirement of the student is a burning desire to know. If there's a sincere student who really wants to know, the guru has to teach you. It's his duty to teach you. He must teach you. He has no choice in the matter. If you keep knocking at his door, eventually he's going to open that door. When he sees that you want that more than anything else, come on in. He doesn't ask you how much money you got. He just wants to see that you really want to know this. That's the student he's looking for. He wants the student to want to know this. It's very hard to find a student like that. Most people are really not that intensely wanting to know this. So if a guru gets lucky enough to find a student with a burning desire, he has to teach them. And there's no money. It's not a business deal. It's not a business. It's not Vedanta business. This is the highest teaching. This is the thing that frees you from samsara. What's the the value? Do you have enough in your bank account to pay for that? I don't think so. It's a very pure teaching. Once money gets involved, the whole thing gets weird. And it shouldn't be like that. Anybody that wants this knowledge strongly should be able to get it. Whether they have money or they don't have money, that's not the qualification. So I just wanted to make a point that if there's any gurus out there that you run across that are charging for their teachings, those teachings are cheap. In fact, they're worth nothing. And uh, you're better off going finding a real teacher who has no interest in your money, he has no interest in getting anything from you. He wants to give you something. That's a real teacher.
2: Sir, can I ask a question please?
0: No. Go
2: ahead. I'm going to hell. What's that? I'm going to hell because I I paid money to come and see you, to come and listen to you. Now what I'm trying to say is that I agree with everything you say and I accept it completely, completely, completely humbly accept it, but I paid money to come here for this week. I think
0: almost everybody who signed so, up for this paid so some good money what, for what this week.
2: what I'm saying is, it's inevitable, people have to hire out halls well, That's they, what they I they said. A people. place like this but needs you know, a lot of money. And the majority of teachers are doing that. They're saying… No, they no, no, but remember. let
0: me clarify one thing. You paid to Yoga Vidya. Oh. I don't get one nickel for this. I won't accept one nickel for this. You can ask Vedamurti. Yeah. There's no payment. I don't want anything from but you guys. The
2: has, money has transferred.
0: Well, so if it transferred to them, they can keep it. But I don't want any money for Vedanta. I've never charged for Vedanta, I never will charge. I get the benefit by having the opportunity to teach Vedanta. You know what it does? When I'm trying to teach other people Vedanta, it makes me introvert, my own extrovert mind. I get the benefit. I don't want any more benefit than that. I don't want anyone's money. And if somebody gets something out of it, that's wonderful. I try my best. But I don't want any payment for it. If I was to be charging for money, I'd be in the Vedanta business. I don't need to be in the Vedanta business. It's very
2: difficult. 99% of the teachers are charging money either for calls or for something. And it's very, very difficult for a student to find a teacher who is not going to... You know, unless we got to go to... I don't know. I wouldn't even know where to go. So I, I just don't know how realistic it is. I'm completely laudable, completely accept, humbly accept what you're saying. And I'm just not, not sure how realistic it is.
0: Because the tradition is... The real Vedantic tradition is that the guru is a sannyasi. He's living like a sannyasi. He can't even touch money. What to talk about charging? That's the real sannyasi.
1: Um, if I may, another anecdote. When I first learned the Dvajka, I was achieving under ashram with Swami Brahmananda. Every day he would give a class, every, every afternoon we would go for a long walk, I would, I would pound him with questions, he would challenge me with questions, with, with, with doubts. Um, and one time I noticed that he had these flip-flops, and they were, they, they were thin, they were worn out, he must have had them for 10 years. Um, and I had these nice keen sandals, you know, these, these <laughs> new, and I said, Swamiji, so, let me get you a pair of nice sandals. He was the calmest man. Very quiet, introverted. You know, just so, so self-possessed. He got angry with me. He screamed at me. He said, do you think you could buy this? I said, Swami you're scaring me, you know. With no intention. I was just offering. making a love offering. Same idea. That's all.
0: Just the basic idea is money and Vedanta shouldn't get mixed up. There's no price you can pay. To run a place like this they have to raise a lot of money. So many hands to hear this teaching, so just put some perspective.
2: It's not corrupted the teaching, but perspective is there. That's, that's I would
0: feel that if I was accepting money for it that I'd be cheating everybody. Mm. I don't want any money for it. That's all I'm saying. And, how, how do you and I'm not a guru. What mm. to talk about a real guru? I'm sitting here as an ignorant person.
3: How do you pay your flight and like
0: that? The, they pay my flight location? here, they pay my flight oh, okay, here, so they do. Something. It doesn't cost me anything to come mm-hmm. here, okay. but I don't charge to come here. Yeah. Mm. And in America I give quite a few talks uh-huh. and I don't have to charge for transportation because I live there, right? Mm-hmm. But if somebody invites me, I don't charge. Mm-hmm. But if they offer to pay my coffee, I say, okay. okay. So because perfect. you need
2: something to eat and to drink. And
0: uh, even that, I, I usually take care of it myself. But here, mm-hmm. I eat at the ashram. So they like I've it. been
1: studying with thyra for mm-hmm. seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I go to his house every single mm-hmm. day, you know, and he charges me he doesn't even charge me, but I bring a papaya. I bring oh, an. Yeah. Okay. I bring an avocado. Mm-hmm. And so on. Just a prasad. Mm-hmm. I think his wife eats it. My wife eats it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, many of us they live from from, from teaching yoga. You know, it really makes me think. It is. I you mean, know, it's the dana business doesn't work in in Germany. That you're uh, saying I do my yoga. And, this is what I do, and this is what I'm also. I'm not only living yoga, but I'm also living from yoga, and it is really. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not clear how uh-huh. how to, uh-huh. to deal with it. But.
0: Let's just leave it like that. Everybody can think about it. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not blaming anybody. I just said, my attitude is that a Vedantic teacher does not charge to teach Vedanta. If you have a big center, you have to have some money to run the center, and that's a whole other story. But in the Gita, Vivikta Desha Sevitum, that guru is probably residing in a secluded place by the side of a river, in a cave, in a side of a temple, in a little hut, and you go in there, he doesn't want anything from you. He wants to keep his life as simple as possible. And if you come there, he doesn't need anything from you. Happy to see you come, even happier to see you go. He didn't ask you to come. He doesn't want you to come. But if you knock loud enough, he'll let you in. That's the way the tradition is. There's no money in Vedanta. I traveled with Swami Dayananda for two years. He gave me money. I I had no money. Dayananda gave me money. He never charged me one nickel and he treated me like a son. Not only did he teach me Vedanta, he gave me my pajamas. He gave me the books. He took me everywhere. There was no business. I was sitting there. He saw me. He says, what are you here for? I said, Swamiji, the guy in Rishikesh said that if I'm sincere, you would teach me Vedanta. And he looked at some guy. He says, "Get that guy some clean pajamas." <laughs> I was filthy, and for that, from then on, for two years, I stayed with him. Not one penny. I didn't have one penny. He wasn't looking to make any money from me. Swami, Swami
1: Vishnu never paid a staffman. In fact, he he said it, it hurt him to have to hire somebody to, to work. It was all it was all selfless service. It was just I Swami Shivananda, so Shivananda never paid any 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 uh, you know sannyasi that lived there, any seva that lived there. The money is corrupts everything.
0: Let it go. We're going to move on to the next subject here. Tomorrow I'm going to take the text, but. Right now I'll just gonna, I want to talk off at of the top of my head. We just took that twelfth sloka, Tatgyayam Pravakshami, Yatgyadvam Rittamashnu I'm now gonna tell you that thing knowing which you will attain immortality. Anadimat Parambrama Nasat Nasat Uchite. It's not this, not this. That's the highest teaching of Vedanta, the negation of every single thing. That which remains, tattvamasi. That's it. If you read the commentary there, Shankara says, in relation to this idea of negating everything in order to teach the highest truth, Shankara says, there is a saying amongst those who know the tradition of Vedanta adhiyaropa apavada biyam nishprapancham prapanchite that which is devoid of all duality is taught by the means of deliberate superimposition deliberate a superimposition means deliberately saying something that's not true merely for the purpose of teaching. But in the end, whatever was taught, in the end, that has to get negated. Let me try to explain how that works. There are two types of superimposition. When we were talking about avidya, we said that everybody naturally superimposes on their Self, the True Self, the Witnessing Self, the Kshetrajna, that witness in you, on that subject, that pure consciousness, we superimpose the qualities of the body, mind, senses and ego. And I say, I am a man, I am a woman, I am, I am blind, I am deaf, I am happy, I am sad, I am smart, I am stupid, I am sad, I am I am this ego. All of the eyes get super all of those qualities get superimposed on the self, and the nature of the self, which is consciousness, gets superimposed on the ego, the buddhi, the senses, and the body. This mutual superimposition we said was natural for everybody. Everybody feels, I am this, I, the witness, am this, the object. We've all mixed up the subject and the object, and this is our empirical life, based on ignorance. But the guru, the teacher of Vedanta, accepts where you are accepts the superimposition that you've made for the time being. And one of the main superimpositions is this. We've taken the subject and identified it with the mind. Once the consciousness and the mind are mixed up, I'm able to be a knower. Without ignorance, I can't be a knower, because you need a mind to know anything. So we all think that we're a knower, right? There's three things that we all think. I'm a knower, I know things, I'm a doer, I do things, and I'm an experiencer, I experience things. Pramatru, through, kart through, both through. These are the three main things that make our life what it is. If I didn't know anything, I couldn't have any life. If I wasn't aware of the outside or my body or anything, like deep sleep, there'd be no life. But I'm a knower. The only way I can be a knower is due to ignorance. Ignorance. So the very first superimposition that the Guru says is that, yes, you're a knower. But there's something you don't know. You don't know yourself. That's a deliberate superimposition. You are ignorant. You don't know who you really are. You've made a mistake about your true nature. And the only way to get rid of that ignorance is to come to know who you really are. That's the beginning of Vedanta. You don't know yourself and you have to get the knowledge of yourself. And Vedanta is the way to get that knowledge. But that's the beginning of the teaching. In the end of the teaching, it says, you are that. You're not ignorant. You were never ignorant. You didn't need the knowledge of the Self. You are eternally free, eternally awake. So that beginning part of the teaching, that you're ignorant, is negated. Whatever it says in the beginning, that you're ignorant, that you have to know the Self, when you know the Self you'll be free, was not true. The guru knows it's not true. He knows that you are that. He's going to teach you that you are that. That you are the self, which is not this, not this. But that's not how the teaching starts. The teacher has to come down to all level. We all think that we're knowers. So the teacher says, you're a knower, and there's one thing you don't know. What's that? You don't know yourself And because of that you're suffering. And because of that you're immortal and you're going to die. And because of that you're limited and you're not free. And because of that you're not happy. But in the end you're not a knower. There's nothing to be known. Why? Tatvamasi. You are that. That non dual reality, you never had any ignorance, you never needed any knowledge, you are Sachittananda Swarupa, Chittananda Rupo, Shivoham, Shivoham. I am chittananda, how could I have ignorance? But the teaching doesn't begin like that. It begins with you are an ignorant person, and we have to get rid of that ignorance. It's a deliberate superimposition, in Sanskrit it's called adiropa. For the purpose of teaching, the Guru is saying all sorts of different things that aren't true. The Guru knows that it's true because he knows the method of Vedanta. He's slowly, slowly going to remove your gross, your gross misconceptions with more subtle misconceptions. In the beginning I think I'm a knower. So it says you're not the knower, you're the witness. But in the end you're not even a witness. It just said you're the witness to remove the idea that you're the witness. But in the end even the idea that you're a witness has to get negated. If you were really a witness duality would be true everybody thinks in our ignorance that we have three states I'm awake, I have a dream I have a and I sleep. so Vedanta says begins with the fact that you are awake, that you do have dreams and that you do sleep but only for the purpose of teaching because in the end, It says, you're not aware of the waking. You're not aware of the dream. You're not aware of the deep sleep. It negates the states. You are the Turya Atma that never had any states. You're free from the states. There never were any states. What you call waking is you. What you call dream is you. What you call the absence of waking a dream is you. There's only you. There are no states, so in the end it negates the states. There's a teaching in the Upanishads, anybody here of the Pancha Kosha, the five sheaths? The gross sheath, and then the Manomaya, the Jnana Maya, the Pranomaya, Ananda Maya, and then finally the Atman. It starts that, yes, I do have a gross body and then I do have a a mind and I do have a, a, a prana and I do have a bliss sheath. But in the end, it negates all of those sheaths. You have no sheaths. There never was any sheath. What you called the sheaths was nothing but you. It negates the sheaths and says that you are the only reality of the sheaths. In the beginning it says there are five koshas. If there were five koshas, would non-duality be real? But they talk about five koshas for the purpose of teaching. Everybody thinks that there's a world. So Vedanta says in the beginning to all of us ignorant people that think there's a world, this world comes from Brahman. All of this comes from that. It arises in that. It abides in that. It's pervaded by that. And it merges in that. You've all heard this teaching, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. But in the end, there is no creation. Nothing came from it. There is no destruction. Nothing gets destroyed or merges into it. There is nobody bound. In the beginning it says you are bound. You have to become free. But there's nobody bound. So it has to remove that in the end. It's not true that you are bound. Because you're nitya mukta. You're eternally free. Whatever it says in the beginning is not true. The beginning of the teaching, karma yoga accepts that you're a doer. You're not a doer. But karma yoga is based on the idea that I do. I'm the doer. And I'm doing. And that karma is binding me up. The karma itself is a bondage. So it says, okay, here's how you have to perform your karma. Do it as an offering to the Supreme. Forget about the fruit of your actions. And you begin with your sadhana with that. Then it says, not only should you be free from your attachment to the fruit of your action, you should be free from your attachment to the action itself. Forget about the fruit. So now it negates the action and it negates the fruit. And when there's no action and no fruit, the very agent is gone. The very idea that I'm a doer is negated. Even though in the beginning it starts, you're a doer and you've been doing things, he tells Arjuna, Utishta, get up, you jasva, enter the battle, do your duty. But that's not the teaching of Vedanta. It's merely for the sadhana, for the sadhaka, for the one who's in ignorance. But in the end, you're not an agent, you're not a knower, you don't have three states, there are no pancha-koshas, neti, neti, you are not that, not that. So whatever Vedanta says in the beginning, in the end it negates it. There are no gurus, there are no students, there's no Vedanta. The Upanishad says, even the Veda becomes no Veda. When you realize the truth, when you realize the truth, nobody ever realized the truth. There are no gurus, there is no enlightenment, there's only the self, one without a second. That's the highest teaching. So, whatever the guru says in the beginning, he knows. (coughs) But what if the guru doesn't know this method? He might think that you really do have ignorance and you really do have to get rid of it and you really do have to know the self. And when you really know the self, you'll be free. He may even think that he had ignorance and that he really got rid of it and now he knows the self himself ignorant, fooling himself and fooling all the students because he doesn't know the method of Vedanta. No one ever realized the self. The self can't be realized. If anyone ever realized the self, duality would be true. Mm -hmm. Then why do they talk about it? Because it's a method of teaching. This is the method of Vedanta. Shankara says, I'm going to repeat it one more time. You listen to this, because you may find people like this. Though a person be learned in all the scriptures, if he's memorized every shloka of the Gita, if he can repeat the whole Upanishads by heart, if he doesn't know the method of Vedanta, this deliberate superimposition for the purpose of teaching. But in the end, whatever he said, he has to negate. None of it was true. He knows it's not true. It's an upaya, a skillful means. He knows how to use that means to take the student to the state of non-duality where when the ignorance is gone, you won't even know that it's gone. When you know the Self, you won't even know that you know the Self. Just like when you're in deep sleep, you don't know that you're in deep sleep. The Self is one without a second. There are no jnanis, there are no ajnanis, there's no scripture. All of that was in the realm of ignorance. None of it was true. You didn't have to learn anything, know anything, become anything. You are that. You're not the knower of that. Tatvamasi doesn't mean you have to know that. What it really means is you are that and you'll never know it and you don't have to know it because the self doesn't want to know itself and there's nothing other than the self that could ever know it. So all talk about ignorance and knowledge, wise men and ignorant men, means of knowledge, purifying the mind, turning inwards, the spiritual journey. Realizing the self, not one drop of it is true. That's the method of Vedanta. And if a person doesn't know that method, no matter what he says, no matter how he teaches, he will never be able to present Vedanta in the proper way. If he doesn't know the method, he'll think that it's all real, that he really realized the self, and now he's a wise man, and he knows this whole world is just maya, and all you silly people don't know what I know. You think it's real, but I know that it's just like a dream. The person who thinks like that is just as ignorant as anyone else. Thinking that this world is maya will not help you. Thinking that it's a dream will not help you. Because this dream can get very scary. Mm -hmm. It's only when there's no second thing that we're free. It's only in non-duality that we're free. When we abide in our own self and even that expression is phony. How... There's not a self in somebody who can abide in it. It only means giving up the ignorance. That's called abiding in the self. When there's no second thing, that's moksha. It's not knowing anything. It's not believing that the world is Maya. It's not believing that I am the self. I am infinite bliss. The guy who believes that is ignorant, as the guy who thinks of the body. Because believing anything means you have a mind. When the ignorance is gone, you won't have a mind. The mind will have become no mind. As long as the mind is there, you'll be in bondage. As long as you know anything, you'll be in bondage. The guru has to remove this guy that wants to know the truth. Even though in the beginning he told that guy, you have to know the truth. But in the end, that ego that wants to know the truth, that has to go. That comes from the guru. Anything that you do can never remove your ignorance. The more you try to remove it, the more stuck you are in it. In the end, it's the teacher that removes our ignorance, not us. We can't do it. In our ignorance, any effort that we make keeps us more and more in ignorance. It's like that story of the tenth man with the boatman said, Stop. Stop the search. You are the tenth man. That's the method of Vedanta. It's different than all other approaches. No other philosophy in the world is like this. This is the unique teaching of Vedanta, that whatever it says in the beginning is only for the purpose of teaching, but it's not real. So in the end, it has to get negated. That's why the Upanishad says, You are the Self, so I am Atma. Sa neti neti Atma. You are the self, which is not this, not this. There is no higher teaching than not this, not this. In the Bhagavad Gita, that twelfth chapter that we just took today, anādimat param brahmā nasat nasat Uchite It is said to be not-existent. Oh, is it non-existent? It's not non-existent. When you remove every single thing, you're not a knower. You're not in three states. There are no five koshas. There's no witness. There's no seer and seen. There's nobody who discriminates. There's no one who ever got the knowledge of the self. There's nobody who ever became liberated. Then why did they talk about all that stuff? for the purpose of teaching for people who are ignorant. But in the end, none of it is true. Not one ounce of it. Without that negation, you'll think that the whole thing is real. That you really had ignorance and you really got rid of it. The person who thinks like that doesn't know the truth. The self never had ignorance. It never had to get rid of it. There's only the Self. That's all that there ever was. That's all that there is right now. And that's all that there ever will be. Iti paramartha. That is the highest truth. Everything else was for the purpose of teaching. If we don't know this method of Vedanta, though you've studied every book and every scripture, You'll never be free from the bondage of samsara because you'll still think I'm a knower and I know that I'm the witness or I know the world is maya or I know whatever I know. But liberation is getting rid of the idea that I'm a knower. Because you can only be a knower if you have a mind and the self has no mind. It never knew anything, it doesn't know anything now, it never will know anything. The knower, the knowing and the known appears in the waking. The knower, the knowing and the known appears in the dream. They're both appearances. They come and go together. They're not real. The only reality of all of them is that all-pervading consciousness, that gives the very existence to the appearance. If you take that consciousness away, nothing can appear. No dream can appear without you being there. You are Vishnu. You are the pervader of the whole dream. You're the truth of the dream. You're the reality of the dream. The dream appearance is no reality other than you. Every appearance has a reality. There's never a snake without a rope. There's never the mirage without the sand. There's never a city in the clouds without the clouds. Every appearance has a reality. There is a reality to this. This is not Buddhism. That is fullness, this is fullness. This appearance is full. It's filled with the Self. The reality of this is the Self. If you withdraw the self from this, it can't exist for one moment. If you weren't there lighting it up, it can't exist. It depends on you, but you don't depend on it. Whether it appears or disappears, you are the unchanging, ever the same, timeless, spaceless, immortal self. You never had any ignorance. You never needed any knowledge. There are no gurus. There's no scriptures. That's the method of Vedanta. This 13th chapter, this 12th shloka of the 13th chapter, he negates everything. He says that is the absolute reality, that is the self. If you do it yourself, you'll see what happens. You're supposed to try this yourself. Try to negate yourself. Try to get rid of yourself. See what happens if you can do it. You can negate everything except the consciousness in which that negation is taking place. Then why does the next shloka 13 says it has hands and feet everywhere. It has eyes and mouths everywhere. That is the deliberate superimposition. In order to make the thing known, it begins with that, it's all of this. Sarvam midam brahmam. All this is what brahman is. But in the end, there's no all this. There's only brahman. What it means is, what you call a snake, what you call the stick, what you call the garland, all of that is the rope alone. What you call this world, what you call the waking, what you call the dream, what you call deep sleep, all of it is the self alone. That's the only unchanging reality. It's in the light of the self that everything appears. Yourself. Who you really are. Swami Dayananda, this guy sitting here in front of you now, they're all you. You are Shankara. You are the taste in grapes. You are the wetness in water. You are the beloved. You are the lover who compares his beloved to the full moon. You are everything. There's nothing else here but you. You are the only reality. There's no need for any teaching. No need for any teacher. That's the final truth. But in our ignorance, because I've taken myself to be this, I need a teacher. But in the end, no teacher, no teaching, and nothing taught. That's the final teaching. That's where we have to get to. It's not a question of knowing anything. It's a question of removing the knower. That's the method of Vedanta. I want you to all think about it. Does this make sense? Could this really be the method? Or maybe the method is you have to get samadhi. Any gurus ever tell you that? You must get samadhi. In nirvikalpa samadhi, you will get the direct experience of the true self. And then when you come out of it, you can open up an ashram (laughs) and charge a lot of money to teach people how to get samadhi. Because it's not easy. I got samadhi. You don't have samadhi. I'm the guru. You? Forget it come to my ashram. I'm building a new one. I got three ashrams now. You think, of, I got samadhi. Can you imagine the arrogance, the stupidity? I got samadhi. You know what Shankara says about samadhi? In the Brahma Sutras, 2, one nineteen, he has a famous little thing that he goes, going into deep sleep and going into samadhi is exactly the same You go into it ignorant and you come out of it ignorant. It's of no use. But I don't agree with Shankara. Not only is it of no use, it's a defect. Because anyone who thinks that they got a special state that everybody else hasn't gotten, what's going to be the result? Arrogance. 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 I got Samadhi. I've had the highest state. I know the truth. Have you had samadhi? Then what do you know, Buster? You want to learn samadhi? I give a three-month course, $7,000. If you don't get samadhi, I give you half the money back. <laughs> the whole thing's ridiculous. Thinking that the self doesn't have states. He who thinks he went into samadhi and he who thinks he came out of samadhi, who is that person? The ignorant person. Because the self doesn't go into anything or come out of anything. Only an ignorant person thinks he has states. We think we have waking, dream and deep sleep. So the guru says, I got another state that you guys haven't had. Samadhi. You know what's the funny thing? If anybody has studied the expert on samadhi, in all of Indian philosophy, who's the expert on samadhi? Somebody?
3: Patanjali.
0: Patanjali. Does everybody here know that Patanjali was a pure dualist? That the world is real for Patanjali. It's not Maya. Prakriti is real. And you know the Purushas? You know how many Purushas? The the, your true self, the Purusha, you know how many there are? Infinite. There's infinite Purushas. There's a real Prakriti. And for Patanjali, the guy who got Samadhi, you know what he said about God? God is eternally different from you. Ishwara, Vishesha Purusha, study the Yoga Sutras. Ishwara is not like the other Purushas. He's the guy that creates the creation. The, the other purushas, they were all in ignorance until they get samadhi. But Ishwara was never in ignorance. Read the commentary by Vyasa on the Yoga Sutras. You'll see that God and the purushas are totally different. He's a pure dualist. That's the proof that samadhi will never bring about the knowledge of the oneness of the Self. It's useless. It's beyond useless. It's a defect. Because like the gentleman said, you must feel arrogant because you feel that you got something that nobody else has gotten. How about this idea? After I know the self, my knowledge might not be that strong. So in order to make my knowledge strong, I should repeat it. Again and again and again until that knowledge is so strong even if Hanuman would come before me and say, I don't have it and say, sorry Hanuman, I got it now you can't fool me anymore <laughs> this idea that I have the knowledge that I got the knowledge that my knowledge is weak Oh, my knowledge is strong, but it's not as strong as Guruji. He's got very strong knowledge. I just got my knowledge last week, so it's going to take some time to make it firm. Where's the method of Vedanta? You really got the knowledge? It's a little weak? You're going to make it strong? And what happens when it's strong? You can open up your own ashram. You can have people come and Touch your feet. They'll put garlands over you. Anyone interested? Horrible. Horrible. It's a noose around your neck. That type of guru. Not only is his spiritual life finished because he thinks he knows the truth, he's fooled himself and he's fooling the other people. This is what's available. Because nobody knows this method. This method is lost. Ramana Maharshi did not know this method. Nisargadatta did not know this method. Shankaracharya knew the method. Gaudapada knew the method. Sureshwaracharya knew the method. Study them. They're the tradition. They're the real Vedantins. If you can't study them, you find a teacher that can teach you Shankara, and Gaudapada, and Sureshwara. Someone who can teach you the Brahma Sutras according to Shankara. This method is everywhere. Whatever is said, in the end, it gets negated. None of it is finally true. adhyaropa deliberate superimposition, apavada. But in the end, it must get negated. None of it was really true. If any one of it was true, then duality would be true. If there were really many enlightened people, suppose there were many jnanis, would duality, would non-duality be true? In non-duality, how many gyanis can you have? Maybe one. <laughs> Maybe none, maybe one. That's the most. And who is that Gani? If there's only one Gani, who is that Gani? You and you. We're all that one reality. We're the Gani. We're the only Gani. Sureshwar said, "Other than me, there's nobody who knows the self." Other than me, there's no one who's ignorant of the Self. He who knows this, even unknowingly, is the best of the knowers of the Self. There's no one else here but me. If there was, duality would be real. That guru can't be different than me. The guru has to be me. That guy sitting in front of you or that lady sitting in front of you has to be me. That's why the real guru, guru Brahma, guru Vishnu, guru Devo Maheshwara, guru Sakshat Parabrahma, that guru is not a person. He's my own self. There's only one thing that's Sakshat, direct and immediate, my own consciousness. That's the guru in all beings. The guru that never leaves you, the real guru, your own self. That's the method of Vedanta. It's getting late. We will see everybody tomorrow at uh, 8.05. Let's do the Purnamada.
2: Oh.
0: we